Well, good morning. So, uh, Pastor Rich was just in the back with me, and he saw the uh, message notes, and he said, Ezekiel, what? How are you going to do this? And, and I don't know how I got the message that I'm going to do Ezekiel, but uh, Pastor Dan asked me to speak, and I was praying about it in my office, and I heard, new heart, a new heart. Okay, well, that sounds great, and that's very good, God. You're very smart. New heart, new year. You think like a pastor, you know. And I thought, man, that's really good. Uh, let's do this. Okay, so then I opened to the book of Ezekiel, and oh, my goodness. It's not exactly the most inspiring book I've ever read in my life. Uh, it's pretty brutal. It's kind of depressing, and I thought to myself, Lord, how are you going to do this? And so I spent some time uh, just seeking God. Uh, and just asking him some really uh, challenging questions. Help me understand how this is a message for New Year's Day, because uh, it's so difficult. And so uh, I'm excited about it. I, I feel like God really just kind of challenged my heart and blessed me. Um, and so uh, let's dive into Ezekiel. And let me tell you a little story about kind of what's going on in Ezekiel. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the guy first. Uh, Ezekiel spent the first 25 years of his life in preparation to become a priest in the temple of Israel. 25 years of preparation. I mean, that's all he's been wanting to do. And just about the time he, uh, he gets ready to go in there uh, and, and serve, um, there's this rumor of a Babylonian empire that has decided to turn its wrath on Israel instead of another nation. And so here it is, a guy getting ready uh, to do something. And we're going to guess here, but I would guess that Ezekiel was one of the brightest up-and-coming stars of the temple. He had a solid faith. He knew what he was doing, but, but he was ready to do something for God in the holy temple. To maybe begin to call the people back from idolatry and selfishness and, and wickedness. Maybe that was going to be his goal uh, maybe he had a plan, something that he was getting ready to do. He was excited. Everything was going in the right direction. And all of a sudden, rumors start and prophets start speaking and saying, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. They're coming to get us. And so Ezekiel's life, all his plans, everything that he was educated to do seems to be at risk here. Before uh, it could be uh, before he could become what he thought he was going to be. Babylonian, the Babylonians uh, violently take Israel. The holy city of Jerusalem is taken captive. The glorious temple of the ever living God has been confiscated. Right, uh, and he's without a job. Right, uh, the leaders that are very powerful at the time and the very wealthy. Uh, anyone who's influential is taken away, and they're forced to serve in different lands. Instead of being taken to Babylon, he's forced to serve in the land of idolatry and immorality. Is this what he had planned? No. And our lives are the same way. Not The things we didn't plan tend to show up, don't they? Uh, they tend to jump in our faces. And I'm not kidding, they can ruin us. They can totally derail everything we thought we were going to be doing. You know, some of us thought we were going to be paying off our homes. And instead we're losing them, right? Can you see how these people are kind of like us? They're just kind of uh, just 
taken away by this. And so at the beginning of the book, we find right here, uh, uh, Ezekiel says, the fall of Israel is recent, right? And we find as a 31 or 32, maybe 33-year-old, unemployed, exiled temple priest, right? What a rough position. Would it be hard to regain hope at that point? Would it be a challenge? Yeah, it, it would be really difficult. And so uh, we find some things that are, are really difficult. And people are asking, why? Why did, why did God allow or turn the Babylon's anger on us? Why, why are they here now? Why did it all of a sudden come our direction? And so uh, there are two main reasons given. And they are idolatry and injustice. Uh, that's what God is talking about when he says, I'm going to send them to you because of your idolatry and your injustice. And that's, oh, this is kind of depressing, Lord. What's going on here? Israel and its leaders failed to seek God, to follow his laws. And instead, they sought to be like the nations that surrounded them. They saw people doing really fun stuff that was seemed to be a lot more pleasurable than what they were called to do, Right? Uh, these guys are, are wealthy, they're having fun. Why don't we be like the nations around us? They, they become jealous of people who are not of God, right? And instead of looking to their God of sufficiency and adequacy and, and wholeness and completeness, they look to the nations around them and say, we don't have what they have. And they become discontented and they start doing what they, the other nations do. So they adopt their immorality. They let go of the immorality that God has taught them. And they start to look at their morality and say, okay, let's do what they do. And they begin to worship the gods of wealth and sex and power. Right? They abandon God's plan for marriage and for family and instead participate in these rituals or these acts of worship that have nothing to do with strengthening your marriage or in encouraging your parenting parenting skill, right? It is completely against what God has asked, right? Uh, They saw worship as a way to gratify their urges and excuse themselves from Jehovah's moral law. Yikes. And then the scariest, most dangerous one, the one that seems to incur God's wrath most quickly, is they allowed and encouraged the shedding of innocent blood during their idol worship. Sacrificing children. Now that's bad. And a lot of us get really angry at that, right? Uh, That's wrong. This culture had gone off the rocker. Now, the question is, are we different? Are we different? Is our culture concerned with seeking God and following His law above the the ones that they invent? Does our culture worship the gods of wealth, sex, and power? Did our culture and legal system encourage an estimated 1.2 million abortions last year? We did. Maybe we're not so different after all. Now, that's just the the idolatry. And that abortion leads us into the, the next thing, which is injustice. They've failed to uphold justice, and instead they oppress the poor or take advantage of the poor or manipulate or lie to the poor and get them to do things that they want, right? They, they gain wealth off the poor, and their whole system is designed to do that. 
So the wealthy become even more wealthy, and the poor become even more poor. Because they're uneducated, they take advantage of them financially. Uh, They get them to sign loans that they lose everything, right? They convince them that they should do this and pay this off, and then you'll be richer if you go further into debt. And they use all these lies, and they, they twist them, and they manipulate the poor to get them to do that. And their legal system is corrupt. It protects those with money and punishes those without. Right? And so if you had money and power, the legal system was to your advantage, no matter what you did. You just had to pay somebody off, right? So if you didn't like the justice that the judge was about to deliver, it was going to cost you a couple thousand bucks. But you could get what you wanted. And so Israel had fallen short. So the question is, are we different as far as justice goes? And I like, uh, I think the American justice system is one of the best in the world. I do have a belief that there are many people in it that are pursuing what is just and right. I believe that the Christian influence on our world has restrained God's judgment on us, right? Uh, But um, do we have some work to do? Do we do unfair loans to the poor? Yeah, do we take advantage of them? As a, as a society and say, you know, uh, you, can, you don't have the money now, we'll give you this much money and charge you only 30% interest. Right? Does that happen? Oh, yes. Do our laws protect those people? Sure they do. They do those things, right? Uh, do we encourage people to live in debt? Do the rich seem to get richer and the poor seem to get poorer? That's statistically proven it is happening in our culture. And so are we maybe... Headed towards judgment again. Is America the kind of nation that can receive the judgment of God? I mean, has it happened before? Have we been judged before? And my answer to this one is yes. Um, when I was a, a sophomore in college, we got done with my, uh, that year, and my, my dad came up to us and he said, we're going on a history vacation. And I was like, that sounds really exciting. Do you have a time machine? You know, uh, where are we going? I, I, what's going on? We're going to go all throughout the east and we're going to look at our nation's capital and we're going to study. Uh, we're going to first on the way we're going to swing through Gettysburg and we're going to learn all about the Civil War. And I was really excited about this. And and so the the uh, things that we did were kind of cool. And then other things were like, mm, not so cool. But the the difficult one was going to Gettysburg. Uh, that was challenging. And so my dad, he said, who's the best, most exciting uh, tour guide for teenage boys? Uh, and this guy said, oh, you got to meet this guy. And this guy was amazing. He took us everywhere and, and sh- gave our family a personal tour. It cost my dad like 200 bucks. And it was four hours long. And, and uh, parts of it I hated, but much of it I loved. And I learned about the brutality of it. Uh, so anybody here a Civil War buff? Anybody know the total amount of American lives lost in the Civil War? About 625,000. So, if you take all the other wars that we have ever fought and add them together, the Civil War has more American lives lost. It was brutal. And it was bloody. And it was terrible. And so, knowing all this, my brother and I go in and, and we look and we stand at the, at the Lincoln Monument. 
And, and we're all kind of like, wow, that is a really cool statue. Why is he sitting? Why do they give him the judge position? All right, why do they allow that? Why, I, that's a strange thing. What, that's a very interesting, you know, and my family's talking about it. And, and then my uh, parents and younger brothers go to the left, and I and my, uh, the other middle child go to the right. Uh, has anybody been to the Lincoln Memorial? You know what to the right is? Second inaugural address of Lincoln. And I start reading it. And my brother starts reading it. And after learning about the, the horror and the atrocity of the Civil War, here in his second inaugural address, Lincoln is talking about why it happened. Let me tell you a little bit about the story. Um, right in the middle of the uh, Civil War, um, Lincoln's son, Willie, uh, passes away from pneumonia. He, he died, and, uh, and Lincoln is, is just kind of upset by it. He just adored Willie, and he, and he cared about him. And, and Lincoln had had other children die, but this moment was hardest on him. Uh, not only was his country in chaos and his leadership was in chaos, and people were questioning him and challenging him, and he was shedding the blood of so many lives by choosing to fight. Right? And now his son passes away, and he begins to ask God why. And, and at the funeral, uh, the, the gentleman who is in charge of it, um, he, uh, he gives a message, a eulogy, they call it, at the end. And the message concludes with this statement. What we need in our hour of trial and what we should seek by earnest prayer is confidence in him who sees the end from the beginning and who doeth all things well. Let us acknowledge his hand and hear his voice and inquire after his will and seek his Holy Spirit as our counselor and guide. And all in the end will be well. And that is an amazing encouragement. That what we need in our hour of trial is to seek God. And so what does Lincoln do? He walks up uh, to the reverend and he says, I, I need that message. Can you give me your notes? Do they have copy machines in those days? No, he said, can, uh, and he copied the eulogy. And he goes home and he studies it amidst the bloodiness of the war. And the death of Willie and this sermon become a turning point in our nation's history. While in the midst of the darkest and most brutal war America has ever fought, Lincoln turns his face to God. And for about a month, he's pretty much gone. That every day he's seeking God's face and he's trying to ask God these brutally difficult questions of why. Why did Willie die? Why does this war continue? Why won't you stop this, Lord? Why don't you quit? What is God's will amidst all this suffering, amidst this crisis? Now, Lincoln emerges from this time of seeking God, and leaders around him begin to notice he comes out of this prayer room different. He's got this quiet, calm confidence that he never had before. Somehow he heard something in there, right? Now, there's a note 
uh, that we have from Lincoln. And his handwriting matches this period of time. And it's undated. And it's, uh, it's not lined. It's not, it doesn't have a title on it. And if you know about Lincoln, most of his personal documents were burned by his family. Right? And uh, they got rid of them. And this one escaped the fire. This little sheet of paper that Lincoln writes on. And it has something amazing. He never intended for anyone to see this. Uh, We think it was supposed to be burned, but here it is. Lincoln writes this. The rule of God prevails. In great contests, each party claims to act in accordance with the will of God. Both may be, one must be wrong. For God cannot be for and against the same thing at the same time. I am almost ready to say that this is probably true, that God wills this contest and wills that it should not end. And by his mere quiet power on the minds of the now contestants, he could have either saved or destroyed the union without human contest. And yet... The contest began. And having begun, he could give the final victory to either side at any day. And yet, this contest proceeds. And so he's got this really difficult question that two sides both think they hear from God to fight the other side and to shed blood. And he comes to this conclusion that both of them have heard from God. Now, they both think they're in the right, but God's the judge, right? And so Lincoln comes to a conclusion. He seeks the face, and he believes that God was judging this beloved union, the United States of America, the country you currently sit within, because of its injustice, its slavery of the poor, right? Its abuse of those who are defenseless. That's a pretty harsh statement. I mean, he, that's the judgment against us. That we have been unjust before. And Lincoln, the leader of our nation at the time, uh, makes this conclusion. So, in September of 1862, um, Lincoln makes a decision. And he decides he must act. And he calls together his cabinet, all his most trusted advisors, uh, the people that have got him to the position and supported him in the war. And, uh, and he hears from God on this. He hears this. Uh, he was apparently praying, and there was a recent battle. It was extremely bloody. Uh, most, of the, most of the guys who fought in the battle were dead. And uh, it's called the Battle of Antietam, but the North won. And, he, and Lincoln came out of that and he said, that was the sign I'm waiting for. Sometimes there's, you spend time praying and seeking God. And he says, watch this. And then you know what to do. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's amazing when God directs us like that. And I think that's what happened with Lincoln in this. He said, okay, God, you want me to watch this battle and see what happens? Okay. And he knew God's will. He knew what he was supposed to do. 
And so, without a word from Congress, Lincoln declares that slavery is abolished in all the Union. It's done. It's over. Legally, it is against the law to be a slave owner. That's September. And so he didn't hear from Congress. Nobody invented a bill, right? He wasn't waiting for somebody to send something his direction. He heard from God and obeyed God's will. And he says, the slaves are free. That's it. I don't care who's mad at me anymore. And he's, that quiet confidence comes up. Right? And, and his staff, his, 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 the people that work with him, they're so shocked by this. One of them is sure that he didn't just make things a lot worse by making a law like that. Right, by declaring that, because now the, the South's going to get really mad. And he stands up and he says, I think you need to repeat that, because I don't think I heard you right. Anybody want to stand up and say that to Lincoln? You know? And so, Lincoln responds to this man. And it's a pretty uh, amazing response. He says, God has decided this favor, has decided this question. Sorry, let me start it again because it's good. God has decided this question in favor of the slaves. In our nation, he just says, we are being judged by God. And on this day, January 1st, does anybody know what bill was signed into law? Today is not just New Year's Day, it's Emancipation Day. This day, January 1st, um, let's see here, 1863, Lincoln signed it into law. It is now illegal in the United States for slavery to exist. Amen, right? Historians look back at this and say, this is the God moment of our nation. Can you believe that? This is the God moment in our nation. One historian said, uh, this moment, this emancipation proclamation is to be experienced in biblical time, in religious time, in spiritual time. It was an event for the soul. Another has said this, he said, about the war, he, and, and Lincoln, he says, God has plunged himself into the flow of human events to direct it in a very personal way. The same God that led Lincoln can lead us. Amen? Uh, he was a great leader. He knew what it was. He had a, a divine understanding that he was in submission to God's will, and it gave him a clarity about his life. He sought God for a month and he got an answer, maybe months and months. We're not really sure how long he had been doing that. But he, he turned his face. And it was in this spot, you know, that we're, my brother and I are sitting crying and reading about how during the second inaugural address, uh, Lincoln is, uh, the war is over and Lincoln is reelected as president of the United States. And he says, we spilled this blood because of our injustice. And we're going to heal this land by seeking God's face. And that's the same thing that that I would encourage us today. Yes, there is judgment, but there is hope. 
And we can heal our land by seeking God's face. So let's get back to Ezekiel. Right? I mean, America, judgment happened here. We get that it can happen again. And we need to know, what, what does God want us to do, Ezekiel? I mean, you were the guy that spoke right after it happened. And you were to challenge people. So, uh, let's take a look at it. Now, before we look at he, what he did, um, let's take a look at some false prophets. Uh, before Ezekiel was called to speak, a bunch of false prophets arose and said, the judgment would be brief. And the people would be back home soon because their sins were minor and easily redeemed. God already got that, those really bad people, and our, but our sin is not that bad. That's in your sermon notes if you're taking notes. And, and that's the tendency of people in, in our area to just say, you know, those, the, God's going to get the really bad people, but we're not that bad. We didn't do anything really wrong. We're, we're not as bad as they are. God got them. He's taking care of them. So on and so forth, right? And so uh, God says something entirely different to Ezekiel, right? And, and it's, a little, it's a little depressing. That's why when you read the book of Ezekiel, you go, whoa, this is kind of rough. But it essentially says this. God shows Ezekiel through, uh, his, first he shows Ezekiel his holiness, his veiled glory, right? And so Ezekiel comes before God and he sees this amazing glory of God. And he shows Ezekiel visions and directly communicates and instructs Ezekiel to share these things. Ezekiel's prophecy goes like this. The sins of these people are detestable. I hate them. I hate that what they do. And I have to stop them. Right? They're detestable. When something's detestable, you cannot withstand it anymore. You have to do something about it. You are forced to act. Judgment would be brutal, and it was only beginning. All right? And this generation will die in exile for the sins that they have committed. Right? Man, Justin, thanks for giving this inspiring message. You know, this is so hopeful and, and wonderful. And, and um, now I want to go home because I'm cold. Both inside and out now. Thank you. And... You know, uh, he wants us to change. God says, uh, I don't want you to become detestable. And, and I don't want you to, to go through a harsh judgment. His desire is to not judge against us. His desire is to judge for us. And so he wants us to uphold justice, to protect the innocent, to care for the poor, and forbid the shedding of innocent blood. So that's a, that's a pretty high calling. And I start to ask at this point, God, okay, well, how does this affect our nation, the people sitting in the Springbrook chairs today? How does that change us, God? How does that, what are we supposed to do in response? Um, and we've got to recognize that this didn't happen in one generation, right? This was a, a gentle slipping, So how did this happen? The first thing that the people of God failed to do is to seek God consistently, to know his word and to obey his law. The second thing they did is they gradually conformed to the culture around them, adopting a false morality. They thought they were being kind of moral. They they picked up these these, um, beliefs of the systems around them. They thought that they were moral beliefs. They sounded good. 
and they ignored God's standard, right? They allowed sin-based patterns into their families. How does a culture begin to decay? It starts with marriage and family, right? The foundation of a culture is the marriages and the families. It's because that's how culture is produced. It's passed on from parents to children, right? And so there, we got to say, okay, let's just take a pause here, a little time out and say, okay, well, how do we not do these things, right? How do we, how do we stay away? How do we keep these sin-based patterns out of our families? Well, the last thing they did, and I think the most critical thing that those parents did, is they failed to pass on their faith to their children. They did not disciple their children. Uh, It's a cultural belief in our world today that you should not force your kids to church or faith or anything like that. That you shouldn't challenge them and push them and, and, and make them do it. Now, that's a cultural belief, right? And many people have adopted it. I, I talk to a lot of parents. I don't want to push my kids too hard. I don't want them to rebel against me, right? Here's the secret. Your love has to match your rules, right? So you can't just tell your kids, you're going to church because I don't like you and you're a da- bad kid. And, you know, your love has to match your rules. It has to be motivated by love. You can require your children to go to Sunday school, say, this is for you, this is about your discipleship. You can require your children to do a Bible study. You can require them to come to jam or thrive and and, and any of the the multiple uh, things that we do at our church to, to help you raise disciples. You can require those things. You can require Bible reading. You can. Just make your love match that. Does that make it's not forcing, it's what love is. To say, I'm going to pass on my faith to you. I'm going to require it, right? Is that what Scripture tells us to do? Write these things on our skin. Put them on our doorposts. Teach them to your children every day. The Israelites failed. How are you doing? How are you doing? You're allowed to this. So let me empower you as parents in a loving way. Force them, Right? They're not in charge. You are. You're accountable. You're not going to get to heaven and stand before God and he's going to ask you, how did you do with your kids? Well, that youth pastor guy, he didn't get him in there. It's his fault. You know, that's not going to happen. And so I want to challenge you. And I want you to challenge. I don't want this to just stop right here. I need this to go on into the rest of our church. And this be the standard as we force our kids because we love them. And we do it in a loving way. It's not a bitter thing. It's like, I care so much about you, I have to make you do this. Like, when you're sick, I have to make you take medicine. And when you need a shot, I have to have someone stick a needle in you and make you better. Right? I have to do some hard things that you don't want. I had to hold down Luke, right, screaming and clawing at my hands when they bring needles to inoculate him. Right? And I have to let him do something hard. And I, Elijah's five years old, and I make him go to school. I force him to do it because I love him. Why is it different when we say to our kids, you're going to church today, right? You're going to do a Bible study three times this week, right? You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna give me a report 
an audio report. Tell me what you read today in the Word. If you didn't, your plans are canceled until it's done. Because this is important. You can do it, people. It's a good thing. So let's not put the ball down here. Let's not drop the ball like this culture did. So, in order to do that, we're going to change who we are, though, aren't we? Right? These are the instructions. You know, how did it, got, how did it happen? Yes, the, we have instructions thereafter. We've got to start asking ourselves, okay, am I allowing the cultural slip to infect my family? Is it getting in me? Am I consistently seeking God? Do I know His Word well and obey it consistently? Have I considered that some of the beliefs and behaviors in my family, the things that I was taught from my parents, are wrong? Like, I'm not going to make you go to church. That's wrong, right? Let's just talk a little bit about the results of that uh, belief. Um, Psychologists told parents, don't make your kids do this. How, are, how is our generation doing? We have Generation X and what is now being called the broken generation. We're losing 70% of our children to the world. And only half of those 70% are coming back. If you're parenting like other Christians, you're probably failing. Yikes. And I talked about that in a parents' meeting. But I would talk to other parents. Parents, talk to parents. Grandparents, talk to your children and how they're raising their kids. Encourage them to raise up their children in a godly way and forcing them to go to church with love. Reward them when they do it and punish them when they don't. That's called behavioral modification. Scientists invented it, invented it a while ago, but we already knew about it in the Bible. Right? Reward good behavior, punish bad behavior. That's pretty simple. Am I doing an adequate job with my family? Here's Ezekiel's instructions. He said to these people who had already been judged, they they said, okay, we want to undo this. How do we do that? They were instructed to repent and become godly families focused on the discipleship of their children. He said, raise up a righteous remnant. Make the new ones better than you. Right? Make them stronger Christians or stronger believers than you ever were. Give them more knowledge and understanding. Challenge them. Talk about it. Right? Spend time with them. So bring up your love and bring up your rule. It's the rule of love, right? The children who repent and obey will return and rebuild the temple. Right? So that's what's called a righteous remnant. He says they're going to return. And into that temple would come the good shepherd. Now, that's a pretty big bit of hope. Uh, Ezekiel has turned from a temporary hope into an eternal hope here. He went from, yeah, we're going to get our temple back and our city back one day. And instead he goes to this, he says, the good shepherd is coming. Who's he talking about? I mean, this is kind of mysterious to them. Is The good shepherd is coming. Um, who is it? It's got to be Jesus. And that he would bring a watchman. Right? And so today's scripture verse, man, did I take a long time to get to one verse. Actually, it's two. Here it is. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from their heart, I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. 
Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. Man, that's good. That is it. And so this is what the good shepherd, this is what Christmas is. It's the coming of the good shepherd. Right? And they bring Jesus to the temple. And, and, they, and different prophets start to come out. And they start to celebrate that Jesus is here. The good shepherd has arrived in the temple as an infant. And he then arrives 12 years old to teach the leaders the new law that he's coming to bring. Right? He shows them his understanding. And then he comes again to be judged and crucified. Right? And he's the good shepherd. And then he introduces us to the watchman of our souls, the Holy Spirit. What a good thing. Our culture is slipping. What can we do about it? How do we get a grip? How do we get a grasp? We ask the watchman. We follow the watchman. He's a guardian. He sees trouble coming. And he speaks to us and says, prepare. Right? He sees bad things happening and he counsels us and advises us. So Jesus completed the work that Ezekiel talked about. Right? He did. He gave us a new heart. You are forgiven. The parent you used to be is over. It's done. You have a new heart for your children. The spouse you used to be is over. It's done. That heart is gone. You have a new heart every day. You get a new heart, a new opportunity, right? The spouse that they used to be is over. Your children, you know, if you're a child in your family and, and you're loving your parents and you're thinking you're doing pretty good, the child you used to be, that used to, you know, rebel and be nasty and, and try and be selfish, gone. It's over. It's done. You're new. Brand spanking new. I am so happy to be new because I was an idiot yesterday. You know, I am so happy. Anybody else happy? I'm new. I'm, I'm claiming I'm new. I'm different. Amen. And I have a new spirit residing within me. If you've received Christ, he's made you new. Right. And if you if you've done that, his spirit has, is not floating around you, whispering to you from the outside. Is dwelling within you and speaking to you and giving you new wisdom. And we've been challenging our students the last couple weeks on what a relationship with God looks like. And we have this favorite phrase in Christianity that says Christianity is not a relation is not a religion, it's a relationship. Right? What does that mean? And we've been challenging the kids to say, if you are not willing to go spend time listening to the Holy Spirit and following God's Word, then it's a religion and not a relationship. If you're not willing to do it, don't say it's a relationship. Now, you do have a relationship in the sense, I have a wife named Valerie, right? Uh, and I am married to her. And so there is a legal relationship with, with her, right? But if I don't talk to her, I don't spend time with her, learn how she feels, find out what she wants, go on dates, speak with her. I don't have a real relationship in that sense. Does that make sense? So I want to challenge you. Go spend time with Jesus in his word through his Holy Spirit. And ask him how he wants you to raise your children. 
do you want me to force my kid to go tonight? Yes. You know, in a very loving way, right? In a caring and gentle way, right? Do you, do you, uh, do you want me to spend time in your word today? Yes. Do you want me to pray for my friends? Yeah, yeah. Seek him. It is personal. He does talk. Uh, be like Lincoln. Do it for a month. Don't quit your job. You know, they're hard to find nowadays. But he kind of recluded. He, he separated himself from all the other stuff. He canceled all his extracurricular activities and sought the Lord. Um, it's a profound time of growth. I challenge you to do that. So you've got a new heart. Put it to work. Revive it every morning, every day, every moment, spending time with Jesus, asking him how to lead your family, asking him how to lead your brothers and sisters, asking how to lead your parents or support your parents from the submissive position, right? As a child, they're the authority. But how do I support above? How do I encourage my parents to do godly things? Mom and Dad, are you going to do devotions today after dinner? No. Maybe tomorrow? Maybe, maybe the next day? Maybe tomorrow morning? Want to wake up early, go out for breakfast, talk, pray? You want to do that, Mom and Dad? Would that freak your parents out? Do it. You can lead from below. You can. You can do it. Uh, can I share a devotion before we start dinner tonight? You know, uh, Parents, you can do it, but kids, it doesn't mean you can't raise the bar. Bring it up, right? So do it. Do it. It's our, it's our only way to resist the slide. If we don't get the counsel of the Holy Spirit and we don't seek the wisdom of the Word, the culture is going to get you. It's already sliding, and we'll go with it. So, uh, that's my challenge for today. you got a new year. It's Emancipation Day. We've been set free. Right? I mean, this is a, a great thing to celebrate. Uh, and we have a unique thing. Today, you woke up, you've got a new heart, and there's a new spirit residing within you. It can be different. And this is a great time to start you know, talking about New Year's resolutions and, and what we're doing. And I want to challenge you. Uh, uh, today's sermon notes or message notes or whatever you want to call them, some of you came in and you're like, four pages. We're going to die. Uh, that's not going to happen. The second part of it is a, in front and back is a devotion. And so I'd like everybody who has a bulletin right now, reach out and, and pull that thing out of there because we're going to do a time where we're going to just look at, you know, maybe some things that you were, were passed on to you from your parents. They taught you that work is so important. You have to be a hard worker first. And if you not, don't work hard, you're nobody. All right? Uh, or that uh, you have to be amazing at sports. And if you fail, I don't love you anymore. Right? We learn these things. Where did our... They learn them from... They learn them from the culture. Right? Bad stuff happened to their parents that forced them to raise their children a certain way. They didn't consult the Bible on that issue. And they raised them with a sin pattern that they passed on to you. The cultural slip has begun and it's in your family already. Right? And they did damage to you and they hurt you. And then you're passing it on. You're doing wrong things. You don't even know what's getting through to you and to your kids. It's just like a nightmare. And unless we turn to Christ and ask him to teach us a new way, the cultural slip, what's doing the damage, what's causing 70% of our kids to run away from church, whatever's happening is ours. And it only gets worse the longer we resist becoming the righteous remnant.
It only gets worse. So I suggest let's do this today. This is what we need to make our new year about, right? Is building up our church by building up our families, by strengthening our hearts. So, God, you gave us a new heart. Uh, So we're going to give you some time uh, to do that. Um, And I'm going to invite our ushers forward. Um, They're going to receive our offering while we do this. And so uh, as you're uh, doing that devotion, uh, asking the Holy Spirit some questions, looking through the list, um, I just want to challenge you to say, okay, what, what, what has been going on in my family? What, did I, what sinful patterns did the culture teach me that I'm, uh, that I'm doing wrong? Now, on the back of the, this, there's some questions. If you don't have one, sit next to somebody who has one of these. Uh, and just you don't have to write down the answers, but maybe take it home and do it. Grab another one. There's some left over at the back. Uh, but take some time here uh, and do this devotion. Ask God some of these hard questions. So now is your time. pray with me. Lord Jesus, we pray that you received um, that offering for your glory. We gave it because we're supporting the mission of your church to build hearts and to build families and build relationships that turn the tide in our culture, that change us back, that bring us back to your will and your direction. That's what we give to God, your work on earth. 
Thank you for the honor of being able to do that. And God, we also just recognize right now that we were taught some lousy things. We watched TV and saw parenting and thought, that's a good thing to do. And our culture was lying to us and they tricked us. We learned from our parents that dads don't have to hug their kids. Or uh, you got to treat them tough or they won't grow up tough. Or uh, you got to be their friend and, and don't, make too, don't make it too hard on them. Uh, we're taught that we don't challenge their sin nature. We're too fragile. Lord, we picked up so many bad habits from our culture that are destroying our family and we don't even know it because we haven't sought your word and found out what you wanted. We did what they told us to and it did damage. God, help us to learn something new from your Holy Spirit. Help us to seek you every morning and and first realize how we can change. And then realize how we as children or as moms or as dads or spouses or grandmas or grandpas or or anything, any, any kind of position that has influence in a family, how we can come about bringing the change that Ezekiel talks about to create a righteous remnant that can begin to restore this culture. Lord, we can change the world by making disciples. We can withhold back the judgment against our sin by becoming the righteous remnant. We can find a new way. So God, help us to not look into the world and become jealous of what they have or or desire what they, uh, they get to experience. But instead, turn our hearts towards You And see the whole and fresh and good and pure and right and eternal God that you are. Lord, we're we're counting on you to change the direction of our hearts, of our families, our extended families, our neighborhoods, our towns, our areas, our states. All the union of them, our whole land, God. We're counting on you to do that in each of us and through our families, through our communities. God, make us yours. We're counting on you, Jesus. Uh, And you are the good shepherd. You will provide. You will, by the power of your Holy Spirit and, and, and the activity of your living word in our lives, cause change. Turn back evil in this year that's coming. So God, we celebrate a new year, a new heart, a new spirit within us. Help us to live this year, 2012. Emancipation Day started off in freedom from our past. It's been, re- it's been removed, and our future has been replaced by the Good Shepherd. It's going to be guided by the Holy Spirit. It's going to be filled with your living word. God, we love you so much. What a wreck we would be without you. What a nightmare this world would be if Jesus never come. God, the judgment would just keep sweeping over. Lord, we just thank you for the privilege, the honor, and just the the responsibility to to follow you, to learn from you, to listen to you in in your spirit, in your word. We ask your hope would fill us about this, God, that your strength would fill us in this, and that we would go forward into this year just entirely counting on you and you alone to guide us in everything we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.